Jack Easton's here. Yes, I am. It's good to be here. It's great to take a little section every week, sit down, and chat with my friends. Yeah, just just hanging with the buds. You That's know? it. Just uh, having a laugh with the you lads. You know, frankly, if you say. don't have a podcast, I don't understand how when you would have time to chat with your friends. It's a vital part of, of the masculine yeah. ritual these days is to, to have your podcast, mm-hmm. chat to everyone, get online with your buds, and uh, just talk over, sort out the events of the week, which in this case uh, was uh, very violent indeed. Yeah. I like to think of it as, uh, you know, it's it's kind of like a book club, but for people who say they don't have time to read, and part of the reason why they don't have time to read is because they're uh, watching trashy movies every week for a podcast. Uh, also, hey, Myros is here. Yeah, yeah I'm here <laughs> as well. I, I prefer to think of it as the new church myself. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah, why did our parents go to church? And the answer is because they were incapable of making friends. So they needed some sort of like unifying thing, i.e. Jesus. And then they would go and uh, that's that's where they had their socialization. Yeah, see. We've chosen a different route. Yeah, we're incapable of, of making friends. So we just uh, talked to the people we met 15 years ago uh, and uh, via Skype, you know, once every week. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good. It's, it's good. healthy. It's productive. Like, it's great. There's There are no downsides. And then if you don't want to yeah. talk to anymore, just don't hit the green button when the Skype call starts. <laughs> yep that's it that's it yeah so meanwhile it's like oh your parents are they're, they're going to their little potluck dinners and their prayer circles whatever the fuck they do and we're like hey why don't we do like a two-parter on a recently deceased exploitation filmmaker who was accused of killing people but really just killed animals Sounds great, right? right? Yeah, I mean, and was maybe somewhat abusive towards the people on set, but only abusive, not murderous, and that's a really important distinction legally. Yeah, not murderous. Well, I mean, it's yeah, it's this the is... 70s and 80s, right? Who, what director wasn't abusive to people on set? That that's was true. just like the way the job that's was right. done. <laughs> Listen, in, in 1980, we were all a little David O. Russell, okay? Like, it's just, that's how things were. It's, it's fine. It's fine, really. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're talking about our boy, uh, Ruggiero Diodato. And if that name rings a bell, it's probably because you have undoubtedly seen or heard of at least one movie by this man. And that is the infamous cannibal Holocaust. Uh, I mean, which, really most likely uh, it would only ring a bell because they like had their news feed on or something and saw that he died. That's probably really the main yeah, reason that's it true. rings a bell. <laughs> That is true. But even among horror fans, I think like that's the one movie that people know him for because it it has a bit of a reputation. And as I mentioned, uh, one of the reasons it has uh, this reputation is because uh, after it was released, there were accusations that people were actually killed, like some of the actors were actually killed uh, because it's kind of shot partially in this this faux documentary style. And uh, people were dumb. These are the same people who, you know, 20 years later would be like, oh, the Blair Witch, Witch was real uh, because they're fucking morons. But 
in Italy, they're like, oh, Paisano, you killed the guy well, was, in the movie. Yeah, he, was, and so, he was one-upping Fulci because Fulci really started the trend with Lizard and a Woman's Skin because the Italian courts watched that movie. I don't know what Italian courts are just showing up to watch mm-hmm. this shit. Like, I feel like our current, like, can you imagine the Supreme Court rolling out for a Fulci film? No, it's not going to happen. They're fucking boring oh, as fucking hell. Sick. But apparently Italian courts <laughs> did. Clarence Thomas just rolling in for the New York Ripper? Come on. So apparently Italian courts watched uh, Lizard in a Woman's Skin, Fulci's psychedelic giallo masterpiece, and uh, there's a dead dog in it, and it looks pretty good. Um, I'm, it might have been built by uh, Carlo Rimbaldi, actually. Yeah, you know, going to do E.T., much more upsetting effect, ultimately. But um, I think it might have been him who was involved. But anyway, they, they saw that, and they thought, like, this, they killed a dog and they brought that in they had to have a whole court case proving that they did not in fact kill a dog it was just uh you know it was a prop it was movie magic you know which you think would be the first thing they would have thought it would have been but you know that's not how they rolled in the, the early 70s so Diodato just had to one-up no. them so yeah, in 1980 he got pulled into court and he had to bring all the actors in to prove they were still alive yeah and i don't want to victim blame our boy Diodato, however uh, he did specifically tell the actors in the film, like it was in their contract, that they had to lay low for a year uh, to kind of make the movie seem more scandalous and, and salacious. Oh, yeah. I mean, this was and standard so, operating procedure. Yeah, I mean, like like Snuff, the other movie that was kind of came out around this time, which uh, I believe that was Michael and Roberta Findlay, uh, who, you know, who Vinegar Syndrome are doing a good job of like rescuing a lot of certainly Roberta Findlay's work, which is often pornographic, but curious uh work but they they bought i can't remember they just bought some south american movie uh that has like a woman being killed and they filmed a load of bullshit and then stuck the other film at the end and just claimed it was a real life snuff movie and uh, and through in new york at the mm-hmm. time apparently everyone was like i think it's a real murder we got to go see it and the courts were like is it a real murder and it was still just playing in theaters so i have no idea how you know you would think if there was any <laughs> hint of it being real there'd be like an injunction but no it was like the 70s they were just like eh, no it's fine we'll work it out and it wasn't apparently yeah. if you look at it now it Listen, looks fake as shit so yeah we're, we're not a bunch of wimps like the Italians okay if, if someone is actually murdered in a movie in America we celebrate it we don't we don't get lawyers involved <laughs> uh, but Diodato he said you know even though this movie became kind of infamous especially uh, like I think it was it, within VHS circles, there's a lot of tape trading with uh, Cannibal Holocaust later. Uh, DVD releases kind of help popularize it among people who love extreme horror. Uh, this is the same with um, uh, Nico Mastrakis or whatever his name is, uh, Island of Death. You know, it was always one of those VHS tapes, one of those DVDs where it came with like a giant sticker that's like banned in 73 countries. Ah! So it, it kind of had this reputation. But Diodato said that despite its reputation he didn't really make a lot of money from this movie and that it was probably at you know at the time of its release watched more by lawyers and judges than actual (laughs) lawyers and judges uh, and the entire population of japan because it was a box office smash there it was like a (laughs) top 10 highest grossing movie of the year in japan uh which god bless them that's you know that's (laughs) why, why not they got good yeah, taste. Absolutely. I mean, and it holds up. I, I think this is sure. one of the things about Cannibal Holocaust. Love it or hate it. And it's it's not a movie I think anyone watches for fun. Uh, it's not like a chill, hangout, cool mm. kind of horror. It's like specifically gnarly and fucked up at all points. Even if you get like the, the new uh, Blu-rays and stuff of a call come with like the, the animal cruelty free 
version that like skips over all that stuff just which you know i think is actually not a bad idea although honestly i don't know if you're gonna watch cannibal holocaust at all i feel like you might as well just wade fully into it and just like this is this is what counted as popular entertainment yeah. in 1980 there was this was this was this wasn't even just one thing this is a genre that italian cinema pretty much whipped up of its own i don't think you know a thing about italian cinema and the way they would always like they were so good at following uh hollywood genres you know jaws came out and next thing you knew there was fucking 800 killer shark movies and they had poltergeist came out and the exorcist and there was the the pasta possession genre reappeared i is there, i don't think there's a cannibal forebear in american cinema it was zombies i guess and they were just like nah, no we don't need zombies we'll just we'll just be more racist about it and they just like sit straight into like south sea yeah. islands and brazil and just film crazy shit Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's, I mean, it is kind of a natural outgrowth from that stuff, right? Like it, it kind of, it, it's, it's a good spin on the, uh, on the zombie formula, which of course the Italians, that's well-tread territory. Um, and then I, I guess you could trace it back to, you know, some of the, like, you know, uh, B jungle monster movies of the 1950s and sixties, uh, of which America produced tons of rubber suit monster movies like that. And, uh, pretty popular in the philippines so yeah and it makes sense because what do we love we love racism here in america it's kind of our thing so uh you know they did the spaghetti westerns they're like let's take the zombie stuff let's take the rubber suit monster stuff let's take the the racist cowboy shit we'll mush it together let's yeah and, and let's and they, they kind of invented their own yeah thing. and let's let's go to the part of the world where the women are often just topless anyway and like that's a, an amazing shortcut yeah. they 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 innovated there um, this as one of many. I'm just mm -hmm. thinking. Yeah, oh, same thing with the animal. Sure, cruelty. right. Yeah, circumvent that shit immediately. Uh, yeah, because yeah, because they they show up and they just go to these remote areas and they're like, okay, well, there's titties. We got those. And then, uh, you know, Diodato even said that he wasn't even thinking about the animal cruelty because he grew up on a farm and he's like, yeah, we just killed shit all the time. And he was basically filming Cannibal Holocaust and somebody was just like butchering a turtle to eat it he's like i ah, just filmed the turtle butchering and then he put it in his movie because you know there's just all these things uh, for them to exploit all around them and he did did he ever well unfortunately uh, we're not we're not you know, discussing anything quite so distasteful as that today right <laughs> and well depends on on what your feelings are but what ended up happening was our boy you know he i i don't think he ever had the resurgence that like a Fulci did or um, some of the other Italian horror masters because he, he never thought of himself as specifically a horror guy. Um, he didn't really like horror movies that much and he saw Cannibal Holocaust as more of like a critique of how the media sensationalizes things and will film anything uh, kind of like he filmed anything. Uh, so, you know, uh, until he, really late in his life, he didn't embrace this horror movie uh, label that had been slapped on him. But one thing I really like about the guy is even though he's like, I'm not a horror director, um, he filmed back to back in 1980, two of the most grisly movies <laughs> you could subject yourself to in a double feature. So he did Cannibal Holocaust, which, you know, and then he did another movie, which I guess if, if there was a follow up, you know. Like, oh, the second Diodato movie you're, mo you're most likely to know. It's probably this one. It's called House on the Edge of the Park. Mm -hmm. Now, 
you it's also entirely possible that you may think you've seen this even though you haven't because following last house on the left as the italians frequently do uh they kind of got into their whole home invasion uh rape revenge period and it was a lot of houses at the ends of streets and at the edge of park and <laughs> over there and to the right and it, it, all over the fucking place. So this was Diodato's riff on it. And he actually enjoyed Last House on the Left so much that he went and got David Hess to star in it. So uh, this is about as authentic as it gets, right? Fair enough. I, I mean, it's like David Hess's career is, I mean, defined by Last House on the Left, I'm sure. But other than that, and like in this movie, it's like, well, I suppose Robert De Niro is not going to side up to do by fucking <laughs> sleaze porn. <laughs> Let's get this guy. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, probably not not very likely. Um, Hess is great, though. Yeah. And he really anchors this whole thing. And Last House on the Left, it really baffles me that it's considered such an unimpeachable classic because, I mean, it is pretty grisly and, and distasteful, right? You know, <laughs> but also, I, I always thought that, like, tonally, it's such a fucking weird movie because it's like one second, it's this grisly, like, graphic rape scene uh, followed by, like, Keystone Cop shenanigans and, and comedy calamity. Uh, so... To Diodato's credit, this plays it a lot more straight. And I, I mean, it's maybe less distasteful because of that, but this is, uh, it's pretty fucking dire. I gotta it's, say. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think like it brings to mind for me uh, a, a film I'm much more fond of. Again, it, I think Era is, is quite important in discussing this movie because it is a pretty rich like socio-political text at, at times and uh you, you kind of want to give it credit but then you look and you're like oh 1980 well there must have been like 700 of these movies by this time that, that a lot of which did more effectively perhaps explore uh similar themes uh but this is is very much about class conflict and in that way as much as last house on the left it evokes something like larry cohen's bone which is also a much more sort of comedic film and uh deals with similar ideas in a, a far more interesting way i think but uh i don't know i found myself quite engaged at times with with this particular film because i i don't think it's it's vapid as many of these rape revenge films tend to just be just indulgent in grotesquerie and this this is but it's also pointed directly at that 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 class conflict at, at times it, it feels like it's going somewhere uh does it ultimately i don't really think so but uh yeah, it makes an effort. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a tricky one. I mean, you just love David Hess yelling slurs. It's, it's yeah. a tricky one. Sorry, for, it's ahead, a tricky Jack. one from a class conflict because David Hess is established not so much as as a class character, but just as a psychopath from from the outset. Like the very first thing he does is chase a woman down in her car and rape her, uh, and that's and murder her. Uh, and that's yeah. that's like the opening scene, and then he's he is our emissary of the the working class, apparently right off the right, the bat. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's it is it's a. I mean, I guess my problem with this film, if I have one, ultimately, and I think it's handled very well. I think Diodato handles 
the concept of it very well, but the, it's it's much more of a theoretical film in terms of like we can talk about it. oh it's you know it's about class conflict it's about you know we we can't really discuss it without discussing the twist at the end where the entire balance of power is shifted and we realize that what we thought was a home invasion was actually a honey pot essentially they were lured here by the wealthy. Uh, the the wealthy party guys because they they actually specifically were planned to kill David Hess's character as revenge, um you know which which throws the entire film on its head. You could talk about all these elements, but like ultimately this is eighty minutes of just unabashed, just leering cruelty and sexual violence, just like pointed at you, and it's it's very odd because while. You know, like, Solo is a film that's, like, just awash in cruelty, but it's very clearly operating on an allegorical framework, and it's also very clearly an art house film that will be, you know, has a market and a, and a place to go. Last House on the Left is, is peculiar in that it is very clearly aimed at being commercial entertainment, and it's a very, I mean, if it's really upsetting about a film like this, it's the idea that this was considered, like, very saleable at the time um, and it's it's just basically a series of rapes and uh, the threat of rape uh, for 80 minutes um, until, and with just various violence occurring in and around it. Um, the theory comes afterwards, you can rationalize it afterwards, but it's it's not a fun film to sit through by, by any means. Well, it, it's interesting that it's like half lurid at times, like it's just these slight decisions that separate this from it separates the grindhouse from the art house i suppose is that the fact that if you were to pull out this idea that he was introduced as a rapist you know their whole if you remove that scene from this film i don't know they uh diodoro lends him sort of has his character sort of this paternal protective bent toward his mentally disabled friend i would say um mm -hmm. and there's the cruelty in a great deal of the first act is directed toward that character by these rich people it's it's certainly a, a much less overt cruelty but it's it's there there's a oh, great certainly. deal of uh, yeah it, it's quite unpleasant and that's the part of the film where you're like, okay, this is really doing something. So if we're if we're not introduced to this character as immediately barbaric, then his <laughs> it lends him a, a certain motivation that you would see in a, in a different type of film. But the whole thing is kind of beholden to that third action. It is it is very twist. funny that I that I think if people showed up five mm. minutes late to the theater playing this movie, they would see a completely different movie to the rest of the audience who showed up on time. Uh, mm -hmm. there, there's just a lot loaded in at the front but it, you know it, it is absolutely i mean i think it's it's an interesting film to break down afterwards because it's it's a kind of i mean it's a deeply misogynist film it's it's all about women being basically predicated as targets of sexual violence um and being threatened and being subdued and being terrified for their their safety and bodily autonomy um and then it's interesting when we find out the whole thing was actually a trap it it reconfigures all of that and it's it's kind of an interesting in that it kind of creates a pecking order of the women are subject to violence by david hess and his his idiot friend but they're also even though they they have 
interests with essentially the one guy who's we learned it was his sister was murdered in the opening scene and this whole thing has been to gain revenge to lure David Hess in and essentially torture him which they ultimately almost goes wrong they, they didn't plan it very well they really go through the ringer before being able to figure this one out but um, it, it's kind of interesting that then the women become even though they're closer uh, class-wise to this man who's who's orchestrating the whole thing, they are still, their bodies are on the line rather than his for the most part. He's beaten, certainly. He takes, like, a lot of blows and things, but, like, it's not like he's being sexually humiliated in every other, you know, the, the, the inference isn't there with him. He'll either, he'll live or die, whereas the women's bodies are, are subject to all kinds of degradation and leering. Um, th- you know, there's kind of an interesting tapestry there in terms of it as a film... A very misogynist film about the kind of tears of misogyny almost. But again, it's it's for most of the film, you don't know this. And even after you know it, it doesn't really change the fact of what Diodato has actually filmed, which based on like reporting from it, I mean, Diodato has a reputation on sets that he was, you know, pretty unsparing of actors feelings and stuff. And uh and of animals' feelings, particularly, as we, we've discussed. But, you know, we'll kind of, um, you know, insist, <laughs> for example, like, apparently in this movie, one thing, you know, an actress who agreed kind of said, like, okay, yeah, you know, I'll do, like, full frontal nudity. And then she asked the actor to decide, kind of like, you know, can you, you know, kind of use your body and maybe block it a little bit? And the, the other actor kind of agreed. And uh, so he's trying to do that, and Diodato was just, like, screaming at him, like, stop, oh, no, because we have to see pussy, you know? And, like, if this was, you know, the director getting the shot and it's kind of like did we is what what does that serve you know it's it's very which which kind of springs into stark relief why any of this is on the screen writ large as entertainment it's it's a very peculiar thing and yeah i mean it's true like this this is very much like a michael haneke film except that haneke would never do this part he'd never have this protracted sexual violence because it just wouldn't work in an art house setting without some other kind of a, a layer or a nuance or a, a camouflage argue some might argue you know some other layer to it to make to allow an audience to sit there and go oh, i'm definitely not enjoying this at all uh diodato is not he's a straight up front it's kind of like here you go tits and ass uh rape you know male power mm-hmm. dynamics um it's yeah it's 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 a strange film on that level um I mean, I guess it's not strange at all. It's just kind of interesting how <laughs> utterly upfront it can be yeah. about this in a way that, say, like, say, Lucia Fulci's The New York Ripper, which is also a film that's actually just filled to the brim with absolutely despicable acts of violence against women, feels far more transgressive and kind of more successfully commenting on that violence in the way that it, it, it attunes its story. It's, I think, a much more interesting film on that level. Diodato is kind of like the subtext and the text are, are both the same, effectively, and you are left to unravel that or just mm-hmm. ignore it entirely and just, you know, kind of go like, whatever, it's a movie just about rape, full of rape. Uh, you know, you can kind of figure out if you if it's worth anything to you afterwards. I think Diodato may not care. What I'd say is, is what's really interesting to me about this film is that I, I think it's such a considered film if you look at it from a class perspective. Like, I, there is something here uh, that is... It's not just subtext. It's text. It's intentional. There's a very real class conflict here, uh, and it's successful, but it also exists alongside one of the most regressive uh, sort of portrayals of of the male-female sexual dynamic, and all of this, like, 
bizarre, you know, stuff about like the compulsion of, of females in sexual assault and their complicity. And it's just like, what are we doing with this? Yeah, yeah no, 100% so underwriting the whole thing is that women enjoy being raped on some level. They're inviting it and they enjoy it. Uh, Which is, yeah, I mean, you, you walk yeah. in and you're like, okay, the second those people pull up in the car after he frames it with that opening sequence, I'm like, okay, well, this, this movie's going to be about these people are bringing him there to get revenge on him for this earlier crime. And that's exactly what it is. But you wouldn't know it uh, for 90% of the movie. It doesn't really delve into that uh, because it's kind of loosely formed around this. What is what is framed to be a twist, even though if you've seen exploitation films, uh, it seems kind of like the <laughs> basic setup. Uh, so it doesn't read as a twist at this stage. But what I thought might end up being the twist was that these people had had sort of invited David Hess's character into their home, knowing that he was kind of unhinged and wanting to experience that sort of thrill because they were so disaffected and wealthy, and they, they wanted some. And that would be an Antonioni film, or or a, yeah. uh, that would be Pasolini's Teorema, <laughs> effectively, almost. But yeah, that, that's that fine line. <laughs> Well, that's where you're like that. I, I'm like, well, if they've gone that angle, then you can kind of like buy into some of the sexual politics of this film, because in many ways, these women are inv consciously inviting this in. But that is not the plot of this movie. So the whole thing's like, what the fuck? Why is this in here? It's just goddamn nasty. And mm -hmm. especially toward the end where it like tries to hand wave this sort of feminist message in at the end that I don't have any idea it's not motivated. It's just complete nonsense where the, the woman who, uh, I suppose has makes love to the, the mentally challenged friend. And then at, at the conclusion of the film just declares that, uh, he, he shouldn't be killed and, and the men don't make the rules anymore. Uh, she does. And I'm like, well, you did not earn this. No. <laughs> <laughs> it, it really is. It's, it's kind of a head scratcher and, a lot of that goes back to, you know, what Diodato's interests are as a filmmaker, but like where he's willing to take that in his films versus like what he wants to do in order to sell an exploitation movie. And uh, I read a bunch of interviews with him because I was I was curious just like how he had framed this up. And basically he had a script and he had three weeks and he had David Hess and he was like. I've always been interested in class dynamics and, you know, other factors like how, you know, power and education influence people's behaviors. And then he always wanted to make a, a rape revenge movie with David Hess. And he always wanted to make a movie where there were no good guys, only bad guys. <laughs> so he put those things together. And then somebody, one of the interviews, they were like, so, um, you know, when the neighbor comes over and then it gets extra rapey and then also the hostages seem to be kind of into it. And what's up with that? He's just like Stockholm syndrome happens all the time. <laughs> I don't know, man. Yeah, I think the neighbor. I don't think that's what that the is. Neighbors where the movie like really yeah. loses. Uh, it's like shape for me where I'm like, OK, this was doing yeah. something. And then the like innocent neighbor showed up and David Hess just like sliced her with razors for 15 minutes. I'm like, okay, well, the movie stopped doing I anything. I mean, yeah, you, you talk about Adam about like, you know, <laughs> it almost doesn't feel like a twist when it happens if you're familiar with these kind of films. But on, on the flip side, it almost does feel like a twist because the whole thing derails so utterly 
that uh, when when he finally gets the gun and pulls it out and it's like you you had that you like you planned this whole thing and you let it get this far off the track uh it seems insane to me i mean to the point where he's like he's got a guy tied by his yeah. neck i would like to know the original right, yeah. plan yeah this <laughs> seemed like they really they really skate skating on thin ice here and just managed to pull it out at the last minute uh, i mean it will be a convincing case for the police when they show up there's certainly no doubt uh that that probably you know no one's going to argue with self-defense angle on this thing there's one lady who's been sliced all over her body and the other guy's had his face smashed in on a table etc but um yeah it's it's a very peculiar way to enter it but i mean it's a way to kind of live in what the film wants to do without uh i guess without having to add any extra narrative details it it kind of like it it functions (laughs) because because it ultimately it's a rape revenge movie until it's like a movie about class and i think the the two things kind of sit alongside each other but only once you've seen the whole movie and only once you kind of also acknowledge a certain uh, kind of seedy commercialist kind of venture within the entire film as well. I mean, which I think comes from the lesson of Cannibal Holocaust is like, did the did the director or like did these actors die or not? Is animal cruelty justified in movie? And the point is, ultimately, it doesn't matter because people will show up to see things that they feel they're not supposed to see, and that's you know I think uh, that mm-hmm. that becomes the drive. I think it is worth discussing though in this film just to kind of lay it down because it's always been my my kind of recollection of Cannibal Holocaust, I haven't seen it in, in many years now because it's not really the kind of movie you pull out lightly to go like, I think I'll see it. feels like a Cannibal Holocaust Saturday <laughs> to me. Uh, just I never had that feeling. <laughs> um, but Diodato is, he is a tremendous craftsman uh, and an excellent filmmaker and and cannibal holocaust has that kind of quality to it uh, that kind of balances elements and um, the last house on the left also has it i mean it's worth noting i mean this is the man who started his career as steve as you say he does he didn't identify as a horror filmmaker he started his career working doing some stuff with roberto rossellini because he was friends with uh, mussolini's son who was a good friend of roberto rossellini i mean it's uh, this kind of un awkward ties between the classic foundational Italian cinema and uh, fascism was a is a subject of much discussion um, and then also studied under Corbucci, uh, Sergio Corbucci the, the great you know spaghetti western filmmaker is probably most famous for stuff like Django and things like that but uh, you know very yep. skillful classically trained directors uh, yeah. Antonio Margaretti oh, yeah. too who uh, is I uh, more on the exploitation side of things, but uh, you know, also made um, shit. Uh, what is it? Uh, God said to Cain, I yes, believe. Yeah, the, I think so. The Western, which is a a real fucking banger. Yeah. So, so, so like the point being, like Diodato, it's understandable he didn't come from that like lurid CD background. He worked on a lot of very you know prestigious mm-hmm. stuff, and he obviously internalized a lot of you know the good lessons of good how you make a film nuts and bolts stuff last house on the left you know handles it's it's milieu really really well sorry yeah, house at the edge of the park the other one I mean, house whatever at the house at the, the left and side <laughs> of the edge of the park same thing and, you know, spitting on a grave uh, it's it's um you know he he handles the space really really well it is a very well handled film um it kind of reminds me a little bit of like you almost think of like say kurosawa's the lower depths or something you know a film in a very small area that you know the camera set ups the movements and everything kind of maintain the space and the claustrophobia it's not an easy thing to do um there's never any question you as much as you're looking at everything going like why in 
God's name is this happening in front of the camera. There's never, you know, it never breaks a space. It's it's always very kind of well presented and cleverly shot to, to kind of bring everything in. Um, it, you know, and I think that that stands and probably something to discuss with the with the subsequent films too. That Diodato was just he's he's a very assured filmmaker. So even when he's absolutely diving into the the deep end of the most lurid shit swamp in cinema possible uh, everything's made in a very very good way you know and, and, and kind of very assured way in a way that even like you know it's funny i mean joe damato or someone who's also really is a tremendous craftsman but often like just didn't even have the the resources or the funds to to kind of he he could pull something really good out of almost nothing diodato i don't think was ever tested quite that severely with his his means but he produced films that look and work a lot better than i think you know Honestly, uh, you know, plenty of films I've seen are are not as well made with far bigger budgets and far more, you know, kind of like lavish kind of, you know, constructs available to the director. Diodato really knows how to handle himself. And so then it just becomes a question of why is he handling all of this stuff? But, you know, it's it's kind of interesting. It's very much of the of the the time. This was, you know, towards the tail end, I think the 80s certainly the rape revenge stuff, I think, I think in large part because I think the MPAA and stuff were kind of like getting more in on, like the grindhouse scene, I think, was was moving in a different direction and this just didn't seem as as particularly, I think the novelty of it probably wore off on at least some level. And then obviously in the UK, they had the video nasty movement of which Cannibal Holocaust was a major one. This was a major one. I believe this, um, this was ultimately was completely banned in the UK. It was available completely uncut in the UK mm-hmm. uh, prior to the video nasty scare. And then once they found out this was one of the films that they were like, what, you can just buy this in a video store. We need to have a moral panic. And they had a big moral panic and they banned this and many other films outright. And like two decades later, this film was eventually passed in the, in, in the UK with 11 minutes of cuts, which it's an 85 minute long movie. Like they just, and this was like, you know, in, in the nineties, early two thousands, they still uh, absolutely just savaged this film with censorship. And I, I believe now you can probably, although no, actually, you know what? I'm pretty sure uh, the, the BBFC's uh, sexual violence policy does not allow stuff like the razor attacks. I, I'm pretty sure this this movie may never be left uncut in the, in the UK. I'm, I'm not 100% sure about that, but I have a feeling probably still would get caught. So, um, it, you know, it's it's sort of a, a strange thing. I think a, a lot of the films in the 80s were kind of like it, it became for a while being as violent and awful as possible was the way to sell films. And then after a while, it became like too much trouble. Honestly, you know, if you actually get banned in every country, then you don't actually make that much money. So, you know, you got to not get it banned. You got to skirt the, the sidelines a little bit. Maybe that just toned things down a little bit, you know, so. Yeah, this it, this just feel like it's kind of on the tail end that I'm not really off the top of my head can't really think of a lot of '80s rape revenge films uh, other than you know Deliverance, which was its own thing, <laughs> very very different tone. <laughs> yeah, I mean I think you're kind of exiting Grindhouse zone and entering VHS zone, so yeah, right. it's just a very well, different sort of animal. You know, I I, I think after the the brief uh, rape revenge craze. Uh, Horror kind of took a different direction in the 1980s, and uh, that was thanks in large part to things like Halloween and Friday the 13th. So 
what did our Italian friends do? Well, a lot of them just kind of switch gears into let's make slashers mode. And wouldn't you know, our boy Diodato, he said, sign me up. Sign me the fuck up. And what could possibly be a better name for your slasher movie than Body Count? Uh, Camping Del Terror. (laughs) (laughs) Well, fair. And it's it's great, too, because it it has such a a wonderful uh, kind of slasher in the woods setup in the grand tradition of Friday the 13th and like the burning uh, where there is a uh, a murderous monster madman who kills a bunch of people and then it's like and 15 years later a bunch of people show up anyways and David Hess is there setting bear traps still trying to catch the monster (laughs) it's like great Fucking awesome. Let's be fair, first off here, because I, to my, in my estimation, the first true slasher film was Italian. I think they've they actually invented this genre uh, with with Mario sure, Bava's sure. Bay of Blood, aka Twitch of the Death Nerve, Bay which of is Blood. Yep, give the it greatest greatest title. Honestly, they should uh, there should be a whole Twitch of the Death Nerve franchise. Uh, but obviously, it was popularized in the US. Mm. It was Halloween, very much set aided uh, the template, and then Friday the Thirteenth became the like goofier somewhat goofier more like le- less classy version and then as the franchise is extended I, I don't think anyone particularly acknowledges any difference between the two at this point um you know john carpenter was a very classic uh you know great filmmaker and uh sean what's his name uh can't sean cunningham uh, just a lot of teenage titties and that was kind of you know they it was set in motion and they made bajillion dollars and everyone you could make a slasher movie for fucking nothing, so you know it became an American uh, standard. And yeah, th- this is very much in the in the mode of the the Ameri- of pr- very much Friday the Thirteenth. It's it's a camping slasher. A bunch of teens drive into the I guess Colorado maybe I don't. The entire film is shot in Italy. There's nothing in here is from the U.S. Uh, which I think that, it is Colorado uh, yeah, via I, the, the signage. <laughs> yes, I think so. And they just, they all roll into, yeah, and the campground uh, to, to hang out and they all get murdered. It's very confusing from a group dynamic perspective because they all seem to hate each other. And when one of them dies, no one looks for them for days, seemingly. Uh, but, you know, whatever. And the there's, there's potentially doesn't help either. Right? Yeah. And there's potentially an, an evil shaman is the culprit. Uh, although you'd have to say when, when you have that 15 years later thing, show up you're like well there was a kid there mm, i don't know is that a thing and spoiler alert yeah you just probably you know you, you'll probably figure out some of this but not all of it uh, i think i'm hotter on this movie certainly than adam i think you're you're not as as into this one but you know it's this is not like holy shit you gotta see this movie but i think this is for me it's a pretty fun slasher uh, it helps the the dubbing is mm-hmm. ridiculous there's one girl with a southern twang and honestly i'm i'm in it just for her she is Every time she opens her mouth is amazing. I will admit, I do every time someone die, except for her and like one or two other people, I was like, I don't remember which one that was. I don't, don't really, they're not really yeah, distinct. The, the dub is incredible. Yeah. I like the, uh, like the Ricky Schroeder, blonde haired, handsome boy uh, who, uh, 
he's just like, hey, what kind of music are you into? I like Iron Maiden. It's like, why did you give him like a fucking Fraggle Rock voice? What is going on? <laughs> it is, it's fucking incredible. Uh, and David Hess, of course, returns as the father of of one of the the army guy yeah. they pick up, and he's a great. And he's great yeah, he's just he's just out in the forest setting traps to catch a ghost shaman who's apparently been on his property for fifteen years. Oh. <laughs> And, and let me let me correct you, because, uh, you know, if we were, were going by the traditional pronunciation, oh, it would be shaman. However, this movie, Body Count, insists on saying shaman, the shaman. Like, what the fuck's a shaman? That's so you don't get sued. It's, it, this Good completely, thing, completely frees it for yeah. any kind of racist claims about it, you know, indigenous cultural appropriation or anything. It's a shaman and no one knows what that's about. So... And he is the well, least scary fair, creature. I, it, this this monster does not resemble a, a, a traditional depiction of <laughs> no. a shaman. It's like a shitty mask. You would no. think they call it like the Wendigo or something, not not the fucking. I think, yeah, I think like they like might have thought that's what they were Halloween doing. Halloween USA goblin mask. <laughs> <laughs> it, I think they might have thought maybe yeah. they were making a Wendigo movie and they just like picked up the wrong part of the dictionary. Yeah, hard, hard to say, but I'm. I mean, it's it's. I, a, I'm pretty sure they don't know what that word means. Right, yeah. But you know, it's it's a very silly movie. I think there's a couple of clever parts in it, but like, I mean, it's very by the numbers in terms of like. I think I think one of the smartest things this movie does, just from a you know pure efficiency standpoint, is literally puts the shower, the outdoor, like it's a little built up shack in the middle of the woods, which is their bathroom facility, which has a shower, and they put that and the 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 killer's lair side by side so basically everyone can just get naked and immediately mm -hmm. murdered it's like a factory production uh, kind of slasher movie thing you don't even have to leave the comfort of your own lair to murder the next naked person um it's it's yeah. a very silly it is, film like it's, a, it's a nuts and bolts slasher and it's it is silly but i mean when you, when you just break it down to its core pieces it's you know it's it's well paced it's Silly enough, but it's, not to it's the point well where you're paced. You at said it. that, and that I might take umbrage. Yeah, I mean, I would say there is either a, a, a nudity or a murder every ten minutes. Yeah, oh, I think like clock. I, I feel like yeah, I, I'd be interested to watch this with a stopwatch and check <laughs> check in. Mm -hmm. I, Check it I'm all trying the to think what here, what yeah. my major disconnect is with this, and I I think pacing is a lot of it, just because. All of these Diodato movies have like a very distinct editing style, which is it, it's very disorienting and unmooring, and it, there's no real sense of place or continuity in in really any of the films we've watched. Uh, and that that's not very helpful in a slasher where you're knocking off just a bunch of generic uh, schmoes. Because man, it's just at some point you're just like, what the fuck is even going on in this goddamn movie? I have <laughs> you no do earthly have to idea. Let go. You do have to let go of that at a certain point, I, I will acknowledge. And yeah, I mean, if, if you know, the one thing that separates Halloween from the slasher hordes is, you know, absolutely how well presented the characters and differentiated that the, the victims were. There's no effort made here, as is a common complaint in, in slasher movies. They are you literally they just they wear different sweaters and they die in different order. You you don't know who's going next. There's like the, the only people are Southern Girl is distinguished because she, I think, 
was the one who signed up for the most nudity um and also the southern accent is insane and then you've got the fat funny guy who in a, in a interesting progressive twist is full frontal in this film it's not often you get male full frontal yeah. in, in an we 80s see slasher a fat guy's dick yeah in front of david this, this guy's like I'm like, what What the hell, Italy? This is your fat guy? He's like 180 pounds or something. That's, that's what a 80s, big fat lump of that's shit. That's 80s fat. You, you, you didn't allow actually obese people in the Average movies. American. <laughs> anyway, yeah, inflation at this point. It means that yeah. like the average the average sized American was like the apparently the subject of comedy in the 90s. Heck, isn't it like Homer Simpson is like <laughs> ridiculously obese? He's like 240 pounds, which is like just pretty normal nowadays so who knows uh but yeah, yeah. you know they're, they're, they're working we didn't invent real obesity until like y2k yeah, no, we've made incredible <laughs> gains in the field since then it's it's absolutely remarkable none of this like 240 pounds nonsense you think imagine if they made the whale with a guy who was 240 pounds well, that would be actually that would be amazing <laughs> oh, they yeah. should do that they should make that Not movie. Even, yeah they have to re, they'd have to rename it the porpoise <laughs> they just uh, name it the guy <laughs> see i think that the guy, yeah, the fucking See, guy. What, what I guess gets me about this movie is, A, there's, like, no characterization to the extent that, like, sure, in a generic slasher, there's not a lot of characterization, but the problem here is that the dub is so weird and disjointed, and not even, like, not even, like, boy, they picked some bad actors for this dub, but just, like, the way it's mixed and everything, every time they, like, cut to the kids doing something, I'm, I'm literally, like, what in the fuck? <laughs> like, I can't even understand any of this dialogue, and it's just like a big hash. And then I, I guess all of the kills, usually that's what you look for when you're watching one of these generic things. They're all the same. It's just like a couple go to the, the, the fucking spooky shower. Uh, one of them gets killed in the shower. Usually the shaman busts through a mirror. That seems to happen about six times. And then the other partner uh, just flees into the woods and steps on like a tripwire and <laughs> gets stabbed by a trap. And that's the only kills in the movie. It just happens like six or seven times. Well, I, I feel the shaman coming through the mirror, and if nothing else, is a nod again to the great Mario shaman. Bava and, and to Inferno's <laughs> conclusion. And, you know, a nod to, again, the, the Mario Bava invented the slasher genre. So, you know, let's just go with that. That feels like a classical touch at this point. I will admit that the kills are not particularly innovative but you know i, I think they kind of work um there's two things i really like about this movie i suppose two things um that really stuck out for me first there's a really great scene where the guy goes into like the rv and there's like a naked girl on the bed luring him in and he's like walking in and bear in mind this is in an rv so it's an incredibly small cramped space there's not a lot of you know viewpoint you know vantage points you can get within there and he's like going into the bedroom and this this girl is like luring him in and he's not sure who it is and we see in the film various like shots of a naked girl in the bed and then he like he by the time he gets in there there's there's a sheet up over it and he lifts the sheet up and it's just a dismembered human leg and he freaks out <laughs> and it's like this whole whole scene I think it's a great scene, and it's it's an interesting scene because what's really fun about it is that there is no way this scene functions from the character's perspective. It is a scene built entirely out of edits for an audience perspective, because he's in the RV and he's right in the bedroom for pretty much the entire thing, like staring in at this bed, and then it cuts to different vantage points and angles and things. None of it makes any sense whatsoever. There's no way this man could have been confused by anything, and then when he lifts up the 
the the sheet to find the dismembered leg it's like none of this cuts together in any way it feels really weird and it's particularly weird once we find out that the shaman is not in any way supernatural force that we know of uh, there's a little twist in the tale at the end where it turns out actually the shaman is also around but it's it's a guy pretending to be the shaman because his parents cheated on each other is is what ultimately ticked him over um you know it's it's just it's a really goofy touch i think it's a really funny scene the other thing i do like is the 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 parents cheating uh, on each other which fractures the family unit which leads the son to go kind of crazy and he, inv- he he invents the the shaman based on a murder he witnesses and then you know i, I don't know there's, there's, it kind of taps into just something that's just about kind of interesting and i'm not going to make a case is like very well developed in this movie but just kind of enough of a through line of kind of generational trauma kind of like fracturing in different ways to create this kind of like that the dad and the mom stay together but they hate each other and the dad spends his days literally just putting booby traps in the forest for anyone to set you know walk into you know because it's just private property it's he, he can do what he likes and he just sets up spikes to pop up everywhere and the son obviously grew up in this fractured home with a crazy dad and a mom who's you know banging the sheriff and he knows that she's doing it and you know it, there's just kind of enough of a tension there that it's kind of interesting that he becomes the killer and then on top of that it turns out that the shaman is actually real and then you kind of wonder well if the shaman is real maybe there's some kind of like that you know this this kind of bad juju in the forest that has created this maybe the reason they they all broke apart really was because of some kind of supernatural force it's just about enough of a fulcrum to make it a little bit interesting a little you know a little texture on top of basically a standard slasher these are the kind of things you know like i said i don't think this is exceptional i don't think you know you and you see a dick and yeah exactly and you see a man pratfall <laughs> naked in front of david hess who i'm not sure if he was like on set going like jesus what the fuck is going on like what am i doing here uh but you know it, it's something <laughs> I imagine I think charles it's, I think napier absolutely was right <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's kind of a fun one i i think i think this is I'm kind of amazed that so far as I can tell, this never got released on even DVD in the US. I'm not 100% sure of that, but it couldn't find anyone I was looking. Uh, the version we watched is like, looks like absolute crud full frame I, if it's sourced <laughs> from a dvd it's from a long long time ago i'm kind of amazed with diodato's rep and this just being like a very solid nuts and bolts slasher that this hasn't been paraded out by like at least severin or vinegar syndrome or someone uh kind, kind of curious about that uh, I'm not. It, it can stay lost for all I care. I mean, it's just, <laughs> this is just like such a big nothing to me. I'm like, well, I feel like I've seen this movie 30 times in my life. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, isn't that slashers generally? Yeah, but- I mean, I don't know. At a certain point, you, you just start mm-hmm. looking for the little variations within them. You know, there's, there's really there's like a handful of slashers that stand above every other slasher and then the, on the other end, there's fucking Silent Night 2012, which, you know, we, we've been through. <laughs> You guys bring me a uh, an Italian director, and I'm expecting something like Torso, maybe uh, something that really surprises me. And I'm like, oh, this is like, this is the real Look, shit. Adam, I and think no, this is just bad. <laughs> I think I think we brought you the goods this week with the last. Oh, film. you you I did. Think. Uh, we had ourselves a happy accident because this wasn't even on the fucking <laughs> slate of films to cover. <laughs> nope, this was just 
Jack downloaded too many movies, and then he was like, guys, you should probably watch this. And he was and correct. My God. <laughs> Every once in a while, there is a film that enters the, you know, the, the hallowed halls, the upper echelon of the cinematic world, uh, known as like the, the optimism vaccine film canon. This is where the sinful dwarf resides. And I, I'm going to go ahead and say the last Diodato we're going to talk about this week it's it's going in the canon like this is this is ov canon all fucking day oh, this is incredible it's from 1988 it is the dumbest fucking thing i have ever <laughs> seen like bar none and i love it i love it more than anything in the whole yeah, wide world like, and i want to kiss it and i want to love it that's, forever that's it's a, called dial help this is the difference with <laughs> dial help right is that like i'm saying i'll all of the films i've watched four now uh they're all they all have this really jarring sort of editing that that it can make scenes and it could break scenes and here the fact that it's like constantly disorienting it works to this film's benefit entirely because this film is a fucking fever dream if i've ever seen one. yeah and i'm sure what you're saying is you're you're like looking at it and if you look at just the, the poster for the movie you're going to see a sexy lady on the phone every poster that exists in this film is just a sexy lady on the phone and then it says dial help and you and you say that's why is it called that why why is it called that? and that's exactly it that that level of dis, uh, disorientation where you think you're going to see like a, a phone sex movie or like oh the killer's on the line giving you a ring oh no 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 that makes far too much sense for dial fucking help uh, because this is a supernatural thriller. Well, Steve, my we are seeing plenty of phone sex in this movie, to be fair. Well, yeah, of a different kind. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's fucking wild. The other thing about this, so basically it's this woman, she's a model, and she's trying to make a phone call, but she dials the wrong number, and then... It, it turns out to be like a possessed spooky line and and we are eventually we it's it's revealed that it's like it used to be like a suicide prevention call center yes that has since like gone out of business i guess I, I, it, and then like all the people who killed themselves are possessed within the phone lines and they want to like fuck the model and also do murderous revenge and the other thing is Every single synopsis you will read of this movie says that the model girl is also a psychic. Yeah, no. Yeah, never brought but up. I, I don't. No. That is never addressed. Ever. She literally but just dials the wrong IMDb number right now, and it's like a psychic. Yeah, what? Am I a fucking psychic if I accidentally dial the wrong? <laughs> What's that mean? I think. I think. I mean, you would think if you were thing. a psychic, you it would be theoretically impossible for you to dial the wrong number right you would you would know yeah, these things true. maybe so i i think th you think you think dion fucking warwick has ever uh, <laughs> dialed the wrong number because i guarantee no. she hasn't <laughs> the great thing about this movie is that like i mean if you watch a lot of like italian horror particularly in the 80s there's a lot of wild ideas that are like very very thin ideas stretched kind of taut over the frame of a movie and it leads to a lot of great things often and it leads also to a lot of very bad things you know so okay haunted phones like even the, you know more movies have been made about that you know you've got a korean movie phone you got japan's one missed call mm -hmm. you know it's like there, there's a spooky phone genre there you know out there it's kind of like okay you know kind of a thing you could do what is impro important to really highlight with dial help is that every element of this film is just 
baffling to to watch unfold. Every scene, <laughs> every interaction, every detail of the production design, the sets, the photos hanging on the wall, everything, it just utterly defies explanation. It is continually fascinating and like just grabbing your attention. You're like, you have no idea how any of it came to pass. It is wonderful. It is such a, an entertaining film from pretty much, because I, I, I started messaging you guys, like literally the opening credit scene. It's worth mentioning throughout this, uh, these two movies, Body Count and and, uh, and Dial Help, have great themes by the great Claudio Simonetti of Goblin, you know, so, you know, you've heard his work if you watched almost any Italian horror of, of the 70s and 80s and Argento particularly, obviously. Simonetti's doing great work on these movies, writing these really cool kind of theme songs. But Dial Help opens with, like, a song about, like, phone, like, you know, you're on the line or whatever, like, on a phone call. It's got this, like, shredding 80s excess guitar solo, and then it ends as the, as it trails off and we move into the film proper from the opening credits. Ends with, like, this spooky spoken word outro about how phones are scary. Like, in the, in the style of, like, Vincent Price and Michael Jackson's thriller. It, everything in this film is utterly, you, like, you just, you can't really relate it back to anything else. It is entirely its own thing. No. Fucking it, It's amazing. I, yeah, I mean, yeah. like I say, by the end of that, I was, like, messaging you guys going, like, I, I, I think we might have something here. Like, this, if this thing keeps going like this, this is going to be amazing. And it does. It holds up for, like, pretty much a full 85 minutes or you know, it's about that length, uh, constantly surprising you. Um, we've got like the, the we have a subway attack scene that's almost reminiscent of of possession, but also there's a phone exchange in the subway that's exploding. Uh, a man gets a uh, shot with fucking loose change from from a, a phone. Uh, mm. Everything here utterly amazing and uh, there's just you know her her friend her photographer friend who's shooting her in a toothpaste commercial that is involves her standing in front of a jukebox uh, with no toothpaste uh, yeah. you know it's just it nothing makes any sense here it all My looks like it's cobbled together it's just wonderful yeah, I, I love how the set design is yeah, like, and it makes zero effort to make any sense at any point ever. It's like she's <laughs> fucking living in like the catacombs, except until she enters, where it's just like the world's most 80s soundstage on her. It's just like bright white and fucking giant like pop art photos. Yeah, oh, they're amazing, but they don't, they're not congruous at any point ever. <laughs> no, no, not at all. And, and they look like, they look at first like odd enough that you're like, did they just, they, they look at, in a place like sparse enough in place that you're like, are they, do they shoot this at someone's place? But then you realize, no, no, they built these to spec. Like these are, these are staged oh, yeah. film sets. And then it even gets weirder because you're looking at what is there. And you're like, this is absolutely bewildering. You know, I mean, her whole her whole apartment is filled with just photos of close ups of her own face, of her lips and eyes and stuff um, and her sucking a lollipop, you know, and it's just like, OK, my favorite like, is her eating a, a fucking a fork full of spaghetti. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the neighbor just like magically materializes a dog somewhere along the way. I mean, like every step of this film is just a, a, a voyage of discovery. And and meanwhile, yeah, it's just people get, you know, there's just death throughout. Just people are possessed by the phone. They either get physically killed by a literal phone. This phone also has like phono vision. You know, there's like a, a camera 
camera attached to a phone, like stalking victims, oh, like a my, fucking, that, that whole, which is incredible. Or else it hypnotizes people the, and they the kill themselves agent friend where it's just like stretching on through like 20 minutes of the fucking movie where we keep cutting back and it, this, this ridiculous phone is like slowly inching its way across the studio uh, it's amazing yeah it's kind of weird because it never it never truly establishes like what it wants like this malevolent force and also how it manifests itself because sometimes it like possesses electronic items and sometimes it randomly like electrocutes fish at other times it's like oh no i am the physical manifestation i am the phone i am going about as a phone sometimes it's a and subway strangling train, people I with my cord <laughs> I mean, and what? A, yeah, I'm a train. And then they, and yeah, then they it, throw in a whole scene where they, where they meet, they meet a scientist, and they have the scientist offer just an insane thing of like, actually, you know, evil forces often congregate, and and you know, energies just kind of, it would be entirely possible for them to do this with phones. And it's like, okay, yeah, it's like thanks the Udo for Kier, it's the Udo yeah. Kier Suspiria role, <laughs> like, but even more not like that, that guy kicks ass, like. She's a model and she just has a friend who's like, I'm a real phone guy. <laughs> <laughs> He's a student. Steve. Why do you, why do you, why do you oh, wait, know the other friends? <laughs> and he does it. But yeah, he, it's not like he works for the phone company. He's just like, I just know a lot about phones and I go to the subway where the phones are and I, I play with the wires. Like who the fuck does any no, of that? I think that? he does work for it's, the phone company. It, that guy, he works for the phone company and also uh, jams in his cool band. <laughs> sure. Sure. And, and so the essence of what this movie is, if you're trying to understand it, well, first off, if you're trying to understand it, don't just go along for the ride. But there's this period in the late 80s, entering the early 90s, where all the money in the Italian film industry is basically drying up. So what happens eventually is the bottom like completely falls out. But in this weird little window in the late 1980s, you've got. You know, Diodato, you've got guys like uh, Luigi Cosi and Fulci even, where all the studios are saying, you know what? We got no money, but also we're not going to say no to any dumb idea you have for a movie. Just here's just a tiny pittance and just go make whatever the fuck you want. And this is whatever the fuck Diodato <laughs> I think wanted. a lot of these, uh, a lot of these no ideas are no. like, they're coming from like, I don't, they just had like Franco Farini in a room with like a giant pile of cocaine and he was just like pumping out story <laughs> ideas. Like it would not surprise you to know that the same oh. man who wrote, the, who came up with a story idea for this also came up with a story idea for phenomena <laughs> yes like, oh, yeah. how about I mean, psychic it's such a bugs theme. and a monkey <laughs> same universe it's, it's so like it's it, it's at a certain point it's so fantastically thinly stretched it's just like phone ghost kill people and once like if you don't commit to any kind of structure it means you could do whatever you like and the film does that Oh, you know, with with glee, with wild abandon, and you know, like I say, they they, they just bring in a scientist to explain to kind of go like, I'm a scientist. I think this is entirely maybe you know, it's 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 gathered somewhere, and they're like, there's a location that this stems from, which kind of like ties into the last act, where you know they they go to this apparent location of the suicide hotline that maybe was recording everyone's calls. I don't know exactly why, and it's still fully functional apparently, or draws enough energy to to continue 
continue and has still has a cleaning woman who comes in who gets murdered really early on in the movie um, yeah, you know it's it's just these mm-hmm. fantastic touches and I mean what I love about this from Diodato's perspective is you know yes you got like phone cam you know nonsense but you also have I mean in this this office where which is apparently the center of the haunting you know you have this ceiling fan that spins up like a helicopter and they put a bunch of dry ice smoke to just pour <laughs> down off it uh, with like crazy neon lighting like everything is just dialed up everything looks interesting everything is surprising nothing about this movie is predictable you have no idea how anything will follow on or approach and it's just it's a really it's it's not you know it's discombobulating but it's fun it's you know this is the way to make a horror movie it's not scary granted if you're looking for like a scary upsetting horror movie not at all this is camp excess but it is really entertaining in that vein it is so much fun it's goddamn incredible like I, yeah. I just this is movie is a blast from start to finish, and like, it's just like the set design again. Does it make sense? No, but it's so fucking rich at times. Like it's got so much character. Uh, it's just it's such a bizarre goddamn movie. I can't believe it exists and that I've never heard of it. And uh, right. God bless. But why is no one talking about yeah. this? Like I have never heard anyone in all my years of like genre film following fandom heard anyone bring up dial help from the director no. of cannibal and Holocaust. it is nope. like it's so much our shit too because nope. like Not a single person. you could it is it is rock dumb but it is also a movie that you can look at somewhat academically in the same way you would look at something like uh the better blumhouse stuff like your your unfriendeds or your truth or dares and you could say like well this is saying something about like influencer culture or the way that technology is impactful to the youth there's there's things you could pull out of it and that is very much the case with this as well in many ways it is exploring similar ideas to what very intellectual sort of k-horror or and j-horror would go on to do but in the least intellectual way imaginable like it just like hand waves vaguely at those ideas of like single lines of dialogue that are just complete nonsense like this whole thing about her being seduced by the phone and it all tying into this kind of lost relationship that is is really stalling her life and it's there's something there but it's not what the film's interested in the film's interested in utter dumb nonsense and god bless yeah even the resolution of the film basically comes down to uh this this you know a thousand trapped lonely souls uh you know haunting this office it, it turns out all they really needed to hear was one beautiful woman phone them up and say that she loves them and then they disappear in pigeons uh, it's we i don't know if they possess the pigeons and fly away or if the pigeons were always the ghosts or if it's just the pigeons left of their own accord totally unclear uh yeah the stakes the film are never really settled uh, because they don't matter it's it's sensory just overload constantly it's just a constant rush of new in in like every scene is just a completely blank slate and you have no idea what could possibly happen um and you won't be able to tell what will happen until it does um but it'll probably involve a killer phone uh that's i mean i guess they'll give you that much it's Diodato mm-hmm. too, so what it's going to involve is some cheesecake bullshit as well. This is definitely the work of a pervert times uh, <laughs> as well. It's like being seduced by this power and technology means like fucking dress it up in garters and writhing around in a bathtub. 
with a fucking it is true like for like the bat, for the last yeah. third. So sometimes you got to hump the receiver, man. Yeah. For the, for and then the of course her house starts on fire. So unfortunately, she's forced to play out like the entire last half hour of the film, uh, running around town in her fucking lingerie. Yeah, it's a, an amazing lingerie. Yeah, and it's great. Boots. She's just in her underpants, and and her and her friends like don't answer the phone and then she like there's like a phone booth she's like let me make a quick call (laughs) (laughs) she just runs in and then and this is another like a wonderful example because it's like this is how stupid it is like you've been getting fucked up by phones for like the last hour and you're like i I just gotta you know real quick and she runs over and then there's this it's like the only thing in the movie where it's like oh i bet that actually cost them some money but like the ground splits open and this phone booth is like consumed by the earth and she's like i'm fine don't worry <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it's it's fucking crazy it's great it's, by it's that stage a, of the it's movie such like a good like visual effect yeah but by that stage of the movie that's just like oh you know don't worry that's okay that happens sometimes sometimes phone booths almost get swallowed and i'm you know yeah, just pull me out like let's that. keep going you know, it's just, it's saying mm-hmm, something. Yeah, it, it applies to our modern society, Steve. Sometimes you got to put down your goddamn smartphone, man. That's true. Yeah. Put it down. Could man. the kids I even just, understand this yeah, movie? They, Public phones? Would they, they know rotary dials? I mean, it's very, very hard to get in the mindset now. Yeah. Do you ever know if you ever wanted to know listen, if uh, Giorgio Armani made a quartered telephone that like shot a laser beam <laughs> at the top? Well, the answer is yes. <laughs> In fact, that existed. Yeah. If you're a kid listening to this right now, listen, you think it's just screen time, but in, in the blink of an eye, screen time can turn into mean time when the disembodied spirits of suicide victims come through your fucking iPhone and torture you. And they light your fish Which on fire. Which is exactly okay? the plot of That's Unfriended. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Close enough. Yeah. Would we have Unfriended without dial help? Yes, because no one's seen dial help. Uh, so uh, the, the previously mentioned Optimism Vaccine Canon. Uh, right now, let me let me read off the Hall of Fame members. We've got the Sinful Dwarf. We've got Me You Madness. We've got uh, Get Even, aka Champagne and Bullets. Uh, we've got Deadly Lessons. And welcome, Dial Help. You've been you've been inducted. It's a pretty so, solid list. Uh, this is I mean, incredible company. Yeah, yeah. I think it's I a lot of Wadwell erasure. I, I need some Bloomhouse in there, but I see what you're doing. You're going with the classics. The classics, the absolute five star. Yeah, <laughs> you know we love some Blumhouse. So, uh, but yeah, the big takeaway here is Dial Help is uh, it's unbelievably silly, but never played for laughs. It is equal parts silly and serious uh and and that's what makes it magical it is unlike anything you have ever seen moment to moment scene to scene uh story beat to story beat this is every second is a new reveal and a new surprise and it's also just fucking fun so uh, watch dial help i think is dial help on tubi i know body count is i'm not it sure look like it is dial helps one Boy, i didn't see any of these streaming i i, I think we had hard copies of all yeah, it's uh, this is a tough one to get a hold of. I think there's a Region Two DVD out there uh, that seems to go for maybe too much money on the secondary market. So, uh, yeah, th- this is one you may have to consult the internet and see what you can find. Uh, our dear friends at Vinegar Syndrome at Severin, uh, Arrow, this might be a little too out there for you, but if you guys are listening, please, for the love of God, get this one. Just get it, okay? Please, 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 please. Dial help. Yeah, I don't even buy um, physical yeah, media, and great. I might be tempted to buy a copy of this because it's it's just that good. 
Yeah. Put it on for the family. Why not? All right. Well, time to wrap things up, gentlemen. So, uh, Myros, what are you putting over this week? Uh, well, this gamer god stick has really left uh, me with not any games left because I don't really play very many video games. Uh, you'll be shocked to learn. But I did watch something ancillary that I would have assumed sucked, but does not suck. So uh, you could check it out. Uh, it is. It's all. It's for my gamer bros. Uh, Arcane. Uh, which is apparently some sort of adapt animated adaptation of League of Legends. What the hell League of Legends even is, I don't really know. Uh, I am a fraud, but uh, I'll tell you, this is a this is a pretty slick piece of entertainment. Um, really beautifully mm -hmm. animated, and uh, the the writing is is quite strong too. It was it was a great surprise. I I was like, wow, this is this is something. Uh, one of the better things on Netflix, which is damning with faint praise, but let me tell you, it doesn't suck. Uh, you you could watch this, especially if you're you're one of the uh, the elites who really play league, whatever the fuck. Again, I, I I don't I don't even know what it is. Wow, you're such a fucking fake gamer boy, Jack. Let me tell you how much of a fake gamer boy Myros is. Sure, he had the audacity to uh, call me on the phone. And this is after he watched Dial Help, too, so he knows about the dangers involved. And he called me while I was playing Elden Ring, and I fucking died because you can't pause the game. Oh, man. And it's entirely his fault. That's that's breaking the bro code. You can't call your bro when he's he's in the Elden Ring zone. No. That's I, I'm sorry. I, I don't... Yeah, I, exactly. I, I thought the Japanese had figured out how to pause video games by this you know, point. No, pausing is for, <laughs> is for loser <laughs> amateurs. You cannot... Pa yeah. Can you pause your life, Adam? Can you just stop people coming no yeah you can't you can't do, can't do that with so you can't do that yeah, with the dragon I I for about the last two decades but i'd pause <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh but yeah i mean there's there's really when you when you're a total gamer bro you got to respect the, the two sides of the coin and uh side number one is having a laugh with the lads and side no, side number two is don't fucking talk to me. I'm playing Elden Ring. Yeah, no, a key part oh, of the Elden Ring experience you don't, you don't is it. tucking your, your character in somewhere so you can go and make a cup of tea or whatever, and you pray to God nothing happens in between. Yeah, yeah. finding a tree to hide behind so you can take a piss. Well, I, I'm going to give you, you this solemn it. promise as, as the gamer god. Uh, every game that I uh, recommend on Optimism Vaccine, uh, which will probably be none for quite some time because I've, I've listed the six games that I have played in the last year, uh, you'll be able to pause all of them. It's my solemn promise to you. <laughs> wow. Fake gamer boy. Fake gamer boy. Uh, Jack, what, what are you putting over this week? I'm, I'm going to put over, I guess, maybe the... the polar opposite film experience to dial help but also really good um brand new film it's it's not actually i don't think it's even rolled out in cinemas here yet a film called pacifiction uh, it's not called pacification autocorrect will constantly fix it it's called pacifiction by albert sarah who people if you're an art mm. house movie lover you may have remembered his last movie liberté which is all about el elderly people pissing on each other in the forest and doing lewd sex acts really odd film this is much Hell more yeah. accessible if you show this movie to a normal person they'll just tell you it's really boring but they won't like block you on social media which would happen if you showed them liberté um it's a really great movie i really really enjoyed it it's quite long it's nearly three hours it's about basically a kind of a commissaire on uh, in tahiti i believe just you know in a french colony kind of hanging out and and basically it's like 
a political thriller, except that no one in the movie actually has the political clout to affect any kind of change or even know what's happening. So it's basically just a series of meetings and kind of hanging out and vibes. Uh, going to the nightclub and getting drunk. Uh, it is absolutely one of the most beautiful looking films I've seen in forever. I was amazed to learn apparently it was shot in like like pocket digital cameras. It, it looks astonishing. Um, essentially, someone someone summed it up as as like the good kind of boring, and that's that's kind of what the film is. It's it's like kind of imagine the vibe of like Miami Vice the movie but remove all the action from that remove any like the only action in this movie is people just kind of hanging out in a nightclub looking semi confused it's real slow meandering kind of aimless uh, certainly has kind of like an an era of of kind of like or this this kind of like atmosphere of dread um really cool interesting film if you have three hours um and if it shows up in your local cinema or shows up online i have a feeling grasshopper maybe or cinema guild are probably going to bring this one to the u.s this sounds like a fucking grasshopper yeah yeah i think it may i don't remember who had liberté (laughs) but anyway uh passive fiction it is it's really cool i actually probably one of my favorite films of, of 2022 at this point um and yeah, just kind of, it's hard to explain. Just sort of just sit in, bask in it, chill, and you might not be able to tell anyone what you just watched afterwards, which is, you know, maybe not the worst thing. Mm. Well, this week, uh, I'm going to put over something that I, I didn't absolutely love it, but uh, I had a good time because I, I miss the feeling of going to the movie theater and seeing something and you know, maybe it's not the most amazing, life-changing, transcendent thing of all time, but there's something special about just being in a theater with a bunch of other people and everybody's having a good time. I like it when everybody has a good time. Just having a, having a good time with strangers, eating your popcorn, sipping your soda. And I went and saw, uh, I saw Megan, Megan today, uh, Mithrigan, if you will. And I was a little bit worried because there's this, this ever growing trend of like movies being designed specifically for like memification and just like pointing at things without understanding them or talking about them. And I was worried that's what this was going to be because there's the whole like, Oh look, here's the clip of the, of the Megan robot doing the dance. And I'm excited to tell you that the dance scene is fun, but it only lasts about five seconds and, and the movie doesn't really fuck with that shit. Um, it, it's a little, it gets, it, it starts off maybe a little too big for its britches, but once it kind of settles in and it decides that it's not gonna, you know, try to work too hard to be about something, uh, it's, uh, it's nice. It's fun. It's not overly gory, uh, but it's, it's just good. Like, you know, in the better child's play movies where you're just kind of, you're, you're watching and you're just, you're just having a chuckle with old Chucky. That's the good, warm feeling that it brings you. Uh, so definitely something I would recommend seeing in the theater. There's some some good uh, laugh out loud moments. Uh, yeah, just just a fun theatrical experience. I got to tell you, Steve, Steve I, I we, don't we think love I can handle robots. it. Uh, to me, uh, just watching the trailer, that is more disturbing than anything I, I saw in House on the you know, Edge you know, like of the Park. the Bratz doll? <laughs> you don't you don't like a you don't like a murderous brat I, I, I can't hack that for fucking 90 minutes well plus it's a modern movie so probably two hours for no reason. 
No, it's a, it was pretty brisk. Pretty brisk. Blumhouse keeper, uh, yeah. I, I think it clocks in at around 90. It's a Blumhouse. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think they, they, they're like the Jason only Blum's studio who's realized that people don't want to spend all fucking night at the cinema. Yeah, you can see two yeah. movies, this maybe. Is this, <laughs> this is the, the classic Blumhouse three-star, okay? Like, it, we get them, we get, we're blessed with them, I should say, multiple times per year. Uh, this is just like, uh, it, it's it's like a less serious, less gory, uh, like, upgrade, you know, that level of movie, where you're just like, I am going to forget this in five minutes, but I am having a nice time at the movie theater. And that's what, what Megan's going to give you. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I've seen, so yeah, I've seen, I don't know. Yeah, watch it or don't. I'm not going to have a nice time at the theater if I have to be looking at that fucking monstrosity for 90 minutes. <laughs> You just watched too much House of the Edge of the Park, and you you just hate women now and robot <laughs> yeah, women as well. I don't think that. Uh, I think <laughs> there could be probably something to be said about this. Uh, I, I'd assume in the movie, maybe even they're talking about uh, the bizarre sexualization and animeization of of the female form with with this design. <laughs> right? No, they they don't really get into. There's like one scene where this this like mean bully boy like throws the doll on the ground. And uh, like, just kind of sits on her, and it's it's supposed to like it's clearly shot to evoke like a, a last house on the left moment. Uh, but he doesn't bonk her or anything, or like st- try and like stick his dick in her titanium hole. Uh, she and she immediately rips his ear off, which is fucking sick. So uh, yeah, I, it's good good stuff. Can we have Anyways, a whole episode without did you the enjoy phrase the titanium today? titanium hole in it? Can we, can we do that next time? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, titanium holes. Yeah, Stop we're doing Steve. a titanium Stop hole it. cast. <laughs> Email us <laughs> optimismvaccine at gmail.com or tweet us at optimismvaccine. Tell tell us your favorite movie featuring a titanium hole. Uh, Lady Terminator. Does that one have a titanium hole, Myros? No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. We don't know. They got to be out there. Uh, Jack, you want to Google titanium holes real quick? No, so right now, Lady no, Terminator I, has like a, yeah, an alien there. vagina right now. I think that's an alien vagina movie, Steve. You may be confused by the Terminator yeah, in the name, right. but I don't think it's really a, a metal uh, no. entity here. And, and if there's one thing I've learned in, in my time on this earth, it's you, you don't mix your titanium holes with your extraterrestrial holes. Yeah. It's, a different, it's a whole different thing. So... Uh, yeah, if you have anything that you want to send us titanium hole related, uh, optimismvaccine at gmail.com or uh, tweet at us at optimismvaccine. And also, guess what? There is a link in the description of this podcast. And if you're like, man, I have enjoyed this whole chat, uh, I'd like to give you some money. And that, what, a, what a wonderful, generous thing for you to think of. And, and this, is, this is the season of giving. And I know it's past Christmas and New Year's, but here at Optimism Vaccine, we like to think of every season as the season of giving to us specifically. So uh, if you donate any amount of money, you will automatically get a gift from your dear friends at Optimism Vaccine. And what do you get? Why a movie from my personal collection. Could it be the region two German DVD of dial help? Probably not. I don't own that, but if I did, it could show up at your doorstep. You have no idea Wait, what you're going to give that get. away. And I've been sending out some good <laughs> shit. No, I'm not going to get that. I don't have it. What am I going to give well, away? Well, don't promise things you can't deliver, Steve. If we had a copy of that, they wouldn't I, I, be receiving I set it up as a hypothetical. This is clearly a hypothetical situation. I have sent some really good shit out, though. You you know, talk to your Optimism Vaccine homies. They, they know what they're getting. They're getting good shit in the mail. 
uh, assuming it arrives. I, I send it media mail, which is a little dubious. But if you send, if you live in the continental United States, I will send you a movie in the mail, and I promise it will play in a in a Blu-ray player. That's that's it, or a laser disc player, or a, or a, you know a VCR, whatever you have. So that's great. Now, what if you want to give us more money? How generous of you? Well, at that five dollar level, you get bonus content. There's all kinds of uh, written stuff. There's special podcast episodes. You might be getting a special Diodato episode on the movies that we don't cover over the next two weeks. How exciting would that be for you? You also get your name read out on the air if you donate five or more dollars. And Myros, who are our $5 friends? This uh, we week? have Koufax, Krapak, and CWW, Evan, uh, Ryan, Dustin, and Paula. Now, you might be saying to yourself, Steve, I, I got a lot of money to burn. I really want to swing my dick around right now. I, I just, I sold all of my NFTs and I have $25 right now. And if, if that's how you want to spend your money, your hard earned NFT money, I'm here for you. Because if you give us $25, you get to choose a whole episode. Do you want to make Adam Iris watch hentai? Maybe you do. Do you want the titanium holes? You want it now? You, you say, I need those holes now. I need them now. Give them to me. Or maybe you're like, I've never enjoyed a titanium hole, but an alien hole? That's a whole nother, a whole nother thing. And I'm into that. We'll do it. Whatever hole you want, we'll do it for $25. Don't forget that. Uh, yeah, and as we mentioned, uh, if you have any questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, optimismvaccine at gmail.com. Adam Myros, smash and refresh on the inbox every single day. And then uh, also you can tweet at us at optimismvaccine. Uh, speaking of which, speaking of Twitter, I didn't do this on the Optimism Vaccine account, but uh, I gotta send you guys this fucking picture. I, I have this thing where I really enjoy going on Facebook Marketplace and finding the most fucked up things that people are selling. And I think I found one of my favorite things of all time. So uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna send it to you boys. Uh, but yeah, uh, stay tuned. We're gonna do more Diodato next week. And then uh, who, who knows? Who knows where the world, where, where, you know, the film world will take it. We'll take it.